0: Good morning everybody, good to see you all here this morning, just again a very warm welcome if it's your first time, there's a few folks here who are here for the first time so it's great to have you with us and hope you're really enjoying gathering together and worshipping God together and we're going to look together now at God's Word and see what it has to say to us. Over 10,000 Christian believers have been killed in Nigeria since 2015, 10,000 since 2015, and of course, we have Christian believers from Nigeria in the room this morning. Terrorists linked to Islamic State regularly kill Christian believers in Mozambique, in northern Mozambique in particular, raping Christian women and killing Christian children. Buddhist monks regularly disrupt Christian services in Sri Lanka, damaging church buildings, trying to prevent believers meeting there together. anti Christian mob violence in Pakistan often leads to accusations of blasphemy against Christians, which either leads to their imprisonment or to their death. In in Pakistan, Christian women and girls are frequently kidnapped and forced into marriage with Muslim men. Muslims who give their lives to Jesus in Afghanistan are often put to death by their families because they brought dishonor on their family. There are around about 100 million Christian believers, it's estimated, in China, and uh, estimates of 10,000 believers coming to faith every day in China, which is fantastic. But it's illegal for those who are under 18 to attend church, to attend any Christian activities. So if you were under 18 in China, you would not be able to go to church or to any youth clubs or anything like that. And many, many believers in China are imprisoned for their faith. Christians in some states in India face terrible mob violence. It's encouraged by the authorities. It's stoked up and it's whipped up. And many church buildings are regularly burned down and many believers' homes are destroyed. And there's been a particular kind of flare-up just in these last few months in India of that. In Eritrea, many believers have have been rounded up and arrested and are imprisoned for years without trial. And they face repeated beatings and torture for their love of Jesus. Children in North Korea where there's estimated to be around 400,000 Christian believers, the children are, re- are encouraged to report on their Christian parents if they see them praying or reading from a Bible. And teachers in school who are working for the authorities will set uh, kind of homework, go home and see if you can find one of these books in your parents' drawers. And if you do, you'll get a prize when you come back to school next week. And, of course, when they tell the school teacher what's happened, the authorities come in and the parents are arrested. Many are immediately executed for possessing a Bible. The others are taken off into forced labor camps and are never seen again. And Christian women in North Korean forced labor camps are routinely sexually abused and raped because the authorities know how important sexual purity is to Christian believers. Children in Tajikistan are prevented from attending Sunday school for can't go to church services or kids camps, and if they do, their parents face heavy fines for letting them, fines which they can't pay. In Kazakhstan, it's illegal to share the gospel, and any unregistered churches are hunted out, and those attending are rounded up and imprisoned, and their property and their possessions are confiscated, and their remaining family are left destitute. In Kyrgyzstan, any Muslims who become Christians lose their jobs, they're refused employment that leads to poverty, destitution, starvation, and sometimes eventually death. And in Libya, those converting from Islam to Christianity are likely to face the death penalty just as they are in Saudi Arabia. In the Maldives, it's illegal to spread the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and it's punishable with imprisonment as is possessing a Bible. And I could go on and on and on and list many, many more countries and situations. So why would any sane person, any rational person, choose or want to become a Christian believer in a country like that? Why would any sane person choose to actively live out their faith knowing that it's going to lead to this kind of thing? Why would you do that? It would surely be a mark of utter insanity to choose to trust in Jesus when they know that this is what's going to happen to them. Surely nothing, surely no one, nobody is worth doing this for, even Jesus, even God, surely. And yet millions of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world today have chosen to be imprisoned, to face torture and even death rather than deny Jesus. Millions of our brothers and sisters in Christ have decided that God is worth it. They've decided that because of who God is and because of what Jesus has done for them on the cross in dying for them to take their sin, they would rather face imprisonment, torture, and death rather than deny Jesus. They've decided that God really is worth it. What about you this morning? What about me? What do we think? Is God worth it? good thank you Anna would we be willing to have our cars and our houses confiscated would we be willing to lose our jobs and face imprisonment would we be willing to persevere under torture and even face death itself for the sake of the name of Jesus surely to do so would be insanity wouldn't it why would anybody put themselves in that situation or is it insanity is God worth it to you is God worth it to me Opposition and persecution for being a believer in Jesus isn't something that just a few people face around the world. It's actually the norm for the majority of believers in the world today. The norm to be a believer in Jesus is to face at least some level of opposition and persecution, way more than we can ever imagine. And it's been the norm for the majority of believers throughout the history of the church that has been normal. What we are experiencing here in the UK, what we've experienced for the last, say, 200 years is abnormal in the history of the church and what ex- the experience of the church across the globe. If you go back in this country, perhaps 250 years ago, it was still illegal for us to gather like this. You could only gather if you were in the state church and if you diverted from those beliefs in any way and held Bible-believing truths, you were imprisoned and many were locked up and many w- were burned to death two or 300 years ago. So what we experienced this morning... The freedom to meet and gather and worship and, shed the, and, sp- and spread the good news about Jesus is a relatively recent thing in the history of this country. It's abnormal in global terms, and it's abnormal in global church history. Being able to meet like this and worship God and follow Jesus day by day without any repercussions, without any fear of the authorities breaking in through the front door and arresting us or, or coming in to, into our homes and arresting us that is abnormal. We are in a minority in global terms, in historical terms. And Jesus himself said that those who believe in him and follow him should expect to face opposition and persecution and even death. He said this repeatedly. So it shouldn't surprise us if it happens. Jesus said this, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. The name of Jesus evokes particular hatred and passion, doesn't it, with lots of people. People hate the name of Jesus. So many people despise it. They use it as a blasphemy, as a curse. And and Jesus himself said, you, if you follow me, you will be hated by all people because of me, because of my name. You'll be handed over to be persecuted. You'll be put to death. Being hated because of our love for Jesus is what we should expect, and that will lead to persecution and even death for many believers we think this kind of thing is abnormal we think it's rare we think it's exception the reality is it's what most believers in the world today are facing to some degree or other and it's what they've had to face throughout the history of the church Jesus said this blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me We should expect to be insulted, we should should expect to be persecuted, to be lied about, to be slandered, because that's what Jesus warns us will happen. But he also says that when that happens, we're blessed by God, we're in a place of blessing. And Jesus said, you will be hated by everyone because of me. You will be hated by everyone because of me. It's not a great sales pitch, is it? You know, the the sales pitch we often make here in the West is come to Jesus and he'll make your life better and you'll be happy and glad and fulfilled and all the rest of it. And some people even say you'll be healthy and wealthy and that's nonsense. It's not in the Bible. Jesus says, come to me and die. Come to me and die and then you'll really live. Come to me and you take up your cross and follow me. Be prepared to lay down your life. And if you don't do that, you cannot be my disciple, says Jesus. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus and say, I'm going to live and Jesus isn't. Jesus says, you have to die, you have to die to yourself and put me first. And if you don't do that, says Jesus, you cannot be my disciple. It's not a great sales pitch. We need to ask ourselves, what sales pitch have we believed? Have we believed the true biblical sales pitch of Jesus, come to me and die? You will be hated by everybody because of me, says Jesus. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Being hated because of Jesus is what we should expect. And when we face persecution and hatred and opposition, we have a choice according to Jesus. We can either cave into that pressure and turn our backs on Jesus and deny him and go back to our old life, because that will be much easier, obviously, or we can stand firm and persevere to the end. And Jesus' point here is this, that opposition and persecution are normal, but secondly, Opposition and persecution reveal those who are truly genuine believers and those who are not. Those who, when they face opposition and persecution, make that choice to completely deny Jesus and reject him and go back to their old lives, are revealed according to Jesus here not to be genuine believers. It's only those who stand firm to the end and persevere who are revealed to be those who have genuinely trusted in him. And the the Apostle Peter said the same thing. Peter, who eventually was put to death for his love of Jesus. This is what he said. There is wonderful joy ahead. He's talking about heaven and being with God from being with Jesus forever. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. The trials of this life, including opposition and persecution, reveal whether our faith is genuine or not. Over the last few weeks, we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews in the New Testament of the Bible. And we've seen how the writer repeatedly urges his readers not to go back to their old life. He repeatedly urges them to make sure their faith really is genuine. And don't go back to your old life when they're faced with temptations and real opposition and actual physical persecution. And in the passage we're looking at today, the writer specifically focuses in on remaining true to Jesus in the face of dangerous opposition and persecution. So we're going to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 39. If you've got a Bible with you, I encourage you just to open it and read it with me, or, or just listen as I read it to you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 to 39. If you haven't got a Bible handy, that's fine. You can just listen as I read these verses to you. So Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32. This is what he says. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. The writer of Hebrews wants to encourage his readers to stand firm in the face of opposition and persecution and temptations. And so he reminds them of how they'd done that in the past. This wasn't new to them. They'd they'd already stood their ground in the past. And he says this, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. The light of Jesus had opened their eyes, had flooded their lives. Jesus had come into their life. They trusted in him and they believed in him. But this had brought them, as a consequence, great suffering. The words great contest are translated from the Greek word athlesis, which is where we get our word athletics from. And it's this idea of a real physical and mental and spiritual struggle to keep going in the face of real opposition. In this case, physical and dangerous persecution. These folks were Jews who had trusted in Jesus as the Messiah and as their Lord and Savior, And as a consequence, they'd faced all kinds of persecution. They'd been chucked out of the synagogue. They'd been disowned by their families. They'd had their property taken. The mob had come in. People like the Apostle Paul, who before he was a Christian, was going around rounding up Jews who trusted in Jesus. He was putting them in prison. He was having them put to death. They'd been thrown out of their families. They'd lost their jobs. They'd had their possessions taken from them. And some of them had ended up in prison. Verse 33 says, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. At times, they faced persecution themselves. And at other times, even though they weren't being persecuted, they'd made that choice to stand with those who were. He says, "You you sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. They'd sympathized with their brothers and sisters who'd been put in prison. A- and the idea behind the Greek word, which is translated sympathized here, is that they, they didn't just kind of have nice feelings towards them. They actually publicly identified. They chose to uh, go along and, uh, and kind of link themselves with those who were being openly persecuted. But they hadn't stayed silent. They didn't say, well, it's not me. It's nothing to do with me. That's their problem. It's not my problem. They publicly identified with them. That They'd visited them in prison, that they'd taken them food and clothing, they'd prayed for them, that they'd stood with their brothers and sisters in Christ, and many of them as a result had their property confiscated. Some of them had lost their homes, and yet they accepted this, the writer says, joyfully because they knew that they had better possessions than their homes and their temporary wealth and possessions. They knew that they had an eternal possession, which was promised to them in Jesus. They had a home in heaven that they were looking forward to. Far greater eternal possessions because their faith and trust was in Jesus They knew that the things of this world were really just temporary, whereas the rewards of heaven were eternal. And so they were prepared to go through extreme suffering because they knew that they had a greater hope, a greater life, a greater reward to look forward to. As we read these words, we might be tempted to say, well, what's this got to do with me? I mean, this is 2,000 years ago, and I'm not persecuted. I live in a free country. This is irrelevant to me, and maybe to some degree that's true. It, it's certainly true that we don't face uh, confiscation of our of our cars or our houses, or we, we're not going to lose our property, we're not going to be uh, kicked out of our jobs, we're not going to face persecution and imprisonment and death, yet. But many of our brothers and sisters around the world do, and, and they are part of our Christian family, the Church, God's family. There is only one Church. We have lots of little, indi- you know separate local churches but we are all part of the church God's gathered people across the globe throughout history there is only one church and we sometimes use the phrase the persecuted church but that's probably not really that helpful because there's just one church and all believers are part of it Hebrews 13 a little bit later on Hebrews it says this continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. So we might not be in prison, but many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are this morning. Not in this country, sure, but in countries all around the world. And God wants us to pray for them and identify with them and stand with them. When they're imprisoned, according to the writer here, it should be as if we're imprisoned. When they're persecuted, it should be as if we're persecuted. But how can we do that? We, you know, we can't go to North Korea, obviously. We can't go to, to many of the countries in the world where believers are persecuted. We can't visit them, but we can pray for them. He says here, remember, and, that, and that's him basic as kind of Christianese for saying pray for, remember them, pray for them, lift them up in prayer. And we can give money to Christian organizations that secretly support them and their families. There's a whole number of Christian agencies which are doing this and under, underground and trying to get money to families who've lost their loved ones or their, their, their relatives have been imprisoned and so on. Organizations such as Barnabas Aid, which specifically supports the church in areas where persecution is active, are great to link with. They, they regularly provide information and prayer points so that we can pray for not just somebody out there our brothers and sisters. That's who they are. We can pray for them, and we can lift them up. We can remember them. We can ask God to intervene. We can ask God for their protection and for their help. And and, and we can give financially to those in our Christian family around the world who are suffering persecution through organizations like Barnabas Aid. It's, It's one of the organizations that we support here formally as a church, and you can give via regent to Barnabas said, oh, you can just give direct, wh- whatever works for you. And, and that money will help those. It will go directly to helping those who are being persecuted, those who perhaps have lost family members, those who've lost jobs because of the gospel, because of their love of Jesus. I've also listed some other organizations on your outlines. If you look at your outline on your seat, there's, uh, I think there's four organizations that I've, lifted, uh, that I've listed that are all kind of doing similar things with a slight different focus perhaps. But I really encourage you to check those websites out when you get home and, and, and look at them and link with them and sign up for prayer information for the magazine uh, and be thinking about giving. How can you give to help those people? You're my brothers and sisters. We, we currently live in a country where we are free to practice our faith in Christ. We're pr- free to gather this morning. We, we, the, the police aren't going to turn up. MI5 are, n- are not going to turn up and arrest us. That's not going to happen. We, we're free to f- practice our faith in Christ. We're free to gather as a church. We're free to, to go and preach in the streets, to give out literature, to tell other people about Jesus. But the winds of change in this country are blowing. And we need to understand this. We need to understand that this is not going to be like this it's going to get worse. It's going to, it's going to change. The winds of change are blowing, and we need to be ready for opposition and persecution in this country. Do not be fooled by thinking, well, it's nice now. It's all, 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 it's all good, isn't it? It is not going to stay that way. And as a church leader, I would be remiss if I didn't challenge you. If, as elders, we weren't challenging you as a church. Are we ready for this? Because this is not how it's going to stay much longer. It's really important that we get our heads around the fact that this isn't just something that affected the people the book of Hebrews was written to or the people in the church in oppressed countries. We are already seeing an increasingly hostile climate for Christians and the church in this country, not perhaps directly in opposition to the kind of preached gospel or the, or the right to believe in Jesus it's, hey, it's okay, if you want to be a Christian, that's fine, you just keep that to yourself, but don't mention it in public, and don't allow your faith to influence your behavior and your standards and what you say. If you start doing that, then you're starting to get into trouble. And we need to be ready for much more active persecution, not just kind of subtle persecution like that, but I believe it's going to get much more active, and I believe it will come, and we need to be ready for this. We've recently seen Christian believers arrested for silently praying near abortion centers, praying that God would protect the unborn silently in their heads, arrested. We've seen street preachers wrongfully arrested and then subsequently released because they've been wrongfully arrested. But it doesn't stop the pain and the, 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 the kind of uh, trauma and the stress of being arrested and thrown in a prison cell for 24 hours. The government are, are currently considering passing a ban on so-called conversion therapy, which pressure groups are trying to get to include a ban on prayer for people who are same-sex attracted. The proposal is basically that if, for instance, somebody came to me after the service this morning and said that they were struggling with same-sex attraction, and and, and if I then prayed for them to be strong and, and not give in to that desire and instead to live a life of sexual purity as defined by the Bible, if that person then took offense to that and reported me or perhaps a family member or someone else did, then I would be arrested. That is what the proposal is going through Parliament at the moment. So this isn't pie in the sky, this isn't hypothetical stuff, this is real, it's happening right now. In the Australian state of Victoria, Australia, a a country with great long links with the UK, a Western free, liberal, tolerant democracy, in the Australian state of Victoria, legislation like this has already been passed. And church leaders, youth leaders and parents have been arrested and sent for re-education. These aren't hypothetical situations. Or or problems that people only face in other countries, so it's not my problem. This is coming to the UK. In fact, it's already here, and we need to be ready for opposition and persecution. Joel and I were just watching something the other day with with somebody who is uh, in the pressuring and and trying to work and pressure parliament and pressure the government to accept that not only this, but this ban should go much further and should force youth leaders and Christian camps to teach LGBT LGBT ideology on Christian camps, that that should become part of the law. Now it's unlikely that that's going to happen because there's too many people with, with sane minds in government. But that's the pressure at a very high level that is going on in this country right now. Paul, Keith and I and Claire have all signed a declaration called the Greater Love Declaration. I'd encourage you, I've put the website on your outline, I'd, I'd encourage you to check it out. And, we've sent, and that's been sent by a group of church leaders to the Prime Minister. I've put the website on your outline for you, but it it, it states that if telling people to repent of sexual sin and praying for them to do so is criminalised, then we are prepared to go to prison. And nearly 2,000 church leaders in the UK have signed that. If that happens, which it could do, and it might not under this government, or maybe not even the next, but it, it will come. Then, I hope that, like the believers in Hebrews 10, you will publicly identify us, or or with us and come and visit us in prison. And I'm not joking, I'm being serious. Because this is what we've signed to say that we will go to prison rather than go against what the Bible teaches. And if that happens, I hope that all of us together will stand with those who face themse- find themselves in prison. This is coming, and we need to be ready for it. This is not hypothetical, it's not me being overdramatic. It's coming, and we need to be ready for it. The days of this being something that only happens over there somewhere are fast coming to an end. And and when we start to be told, for instance, that we can't hold to the biblical teaching on human sexuality, for instance, and keep our jobs, then we'll have to decide whether God is worth it or not. When this happens in many other countries, the authorities come and confiscate our cars and our houses and close our bank accounts, we'll have to decide, is God worth it? Just last month, A church leader in Yorkshire who politely, very politely, questioned his bank's aggressive promotion of LGBTI geology during the so-called Pride Month, he was just told that he had five days and his account was being closed because he dared to question his bank. And and when you can't get a bank account, you can't really function in the modern world. This is happening right now. This isn't just hypothetical stuff. It's already happening here in the UK, and it's only going to get worse, and we have to decide... Is God worth it? Will we keep on doing what we can, tell, what we can to tell other people about Jesus and, and being faithful to what the Bible teaches? Or will we retreat and go silent? That, that's the easy option, isn't it? Just to retreat, just to keep quiet, go silent. Is God worth it? Those of you who watch the DVD in your home groups this week might remember the church leader from the former Soviet Union who'd been persecuted and beaten and uh, in his prison cell and he said to the american christian who was interviewing him he said don't you ever give up in freedom what we never give up in persecution don't you ever give up in freedom what we never give up in persecution in other words the ability to tell others about jesus the ability to live out our christian faith we stand up on on sundays and we sing all to jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. But do we really mean it? Do we really mean it? Is it just a nice song? I mean, it's a lovely tune. It's a beautiful song. But do we really mean it? All to Jesus, I surrender. Is God really worth it? Or is that just insanity? Are we prepared to have our possessions confiscated? Our money, our cars, our houses? rather than deny Jesus? Is God worth it? Are we prepared to go to jail? Are we prepared to face physical suffering? Are we prepared to even face death rather than deny Jesus? Is God really worth it? And when our brothers and sisters in Christ are on the receiving end of this kind of thing, will we just stay silent and will we act as if it's not our problem? Or will we like the 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 believers here in Hebrews 10 publicly identify with our brothers and sisters even when it puts ourselves at risk. Is God worth it? If we decide that God isn't worth it and we turn our backs on Jesus and deny him then that will reveal that our faith wasn't genuine. As Jesus says in Matthew 10 22 the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Opposition and persecution will reveal the genuineness of our faith or otherwise. Those who've genuinely trusted in Jesus will persevere to the end, even if they're just clinging on by their fingertips and they come close, ever so close to giving up. If they persevere, it will reveal the genuineness of their faith, says Jesus. In verse 35, the writer says this, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what has been Promised for in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. If we persevere to the end, we will receive what God has promised to those who've genuinely put their faith and trust in him, which is being with him and enjoying him forever. God is the gospel, God is the good news. Being with God and enjoying him forever is the good news. Jesus is coming again, and every day his coming gets closer and closer, and that should be a source of comfort for us all, and especially for those who are being persecuted. Our focus as those who've put our faith in God should be on Jesus and spending eternity with him rather than on our earthly possessions, which can so easily be taken from us. The writer of Hebrews concludes our passage with these words, but my righteous one will live by faith, queuing up the whole great chapter 11 of the the chapter of faith, which we're going to look at over the next two weeks. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Those who have genuinely trusted in Jesus have been made righteous by God. We're his righteous ones. Unless, of course, when we face persecution, we shrink back and we deny Jesus, because that will reveal that our faith wasn't genuine, wasn't real but those who have genuinely trusted in Jesus will not shrink back. They won't deny Jesus. They won't return to their old life. They will continue to believe in Jesus. They'll continue to put their faith and trust in him day by day and trust him even in the most horrendous of circumstances. And when they die or when Jesus comes again, whichever happens first, they will receive the complete fulfillment of their salvation as they spend eternity with God. In, in the last 24 hours, brothers and sisters of ours around the world will have died for the sake of the gospel. They will have died as a result of imprisonment, of torture and execution. Our brothers and sisters around the world, there will have been some in the last 24 hours who've paid the ultimate price. They're our brothers and sisters. And they'll have gone into the presence of their Lord and of their Savior, and they'll be with Him forever because in genuine faith they've persevered to the end. They've decided that God was worth it. Our brothers and sisters around the world are suffering greatly at this moment, so what can we do to help them? Well, we can pray for them. We can give to support them financially via organizations such as Barnabas Fund. £20 a month you know, it's, it's, a, it's a half a Saturday night takeaway. It's a couple of coffees. We, we throw money around without even thinking about it. But 20 pounds a month would make a massive difference to somebody who's lost their job because, they are be- uh, because they're a believer and isn't allowed to work now. It would make a massive difference because a family has lost their main earner because he's been executed. That 20 pounds a month would be life-changing for them and will enable them to keep going and feed themselves. That's something really tangible that we could all do. Persecution isn't something that just happens over there somewhere. It's already beginning to happen in this country, and it's going to get much worse. At the minute, it's very, mu- it's very subtle. As long as you keep your mouth closed and don't exp- you know, express your views too loudly, then you'll be fine. But it will become much harder. It's going to become much more overt. Are we ready to face opposition and persecution? Is that insanity, or is God worth it? Let's just take a few moments to, just to pause and reflect on what we've read and, and what we've looked at and what we've said this morning. Is God worth it? Is God worth it to you? Is God worth it to me? Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you that you decided that we were worth it. Lord Jesus, you paid the ultimate price. You were tortured. You were imprisoned. You were executed because you decided that we were worth it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord. We pray this morning to make that ultimate choice that you are worth it. That making these choices is not insanity. It's it really is the only true choice we can ever make. To, tr- to choose you, to live for you, even in the face of the greatest opposition and persecution. Help us to persevere. Help us to keep going. Help us to be strong, Father. And as we face uh, perhaps in, in increasing persecution and opposition in this country, help us, to be f- help us to be strong. Help us to be ready. Help us to encourage each other, to stand with each other, And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world this morning. We pray for our brothers and sisters who right now are being tortured, literally physically right now are being tortured by uh, evil men. Father, would you intervene? Would you rescue them? Would you set them free? Those who are being hounded and uh, those who are facing execution, would you give them strength? those who have 30, 40 years ahead of them in a labor camp with no hope of ever getting out, would you give them strength? Those who've lost their jobs, those who are facing all kinds of opposition and persecution, Lord, would you give them the strength they need to persevere? We pray that the the funds that we give as a church and individually to our brothers and sisters through organizations like Barnabas and others open doors and so on. Lord, we pray that this would be used well, a real practical expression of our love for our brothers and sisters. We lift them to you this morning. Help us, Lord, to know that you truly are worth it. Thank you that you decided that we were worth it. We love you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.